This morning I want to speak about hearing the voice of God. The ability to hear the voice of God is a privilege and it is a right of every single believer. Not just preachers, not just prophets, not just super cool spiritual direction types that seem to have a hotline to heaven. There are some people, of course, who have a wonderful gift of hearing God and sharing it with other people. Um, you may have received a word of God for your own life, which has been transformational, which has been right on the money, and you thought, man, that word is, is just made all the difference to my life story. But you know what? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have got to hear God's word for yourself. You have got to hear God's word for yourself. It is a mark of maturity in a believer. At the same time, it, it is the simplest task that we are given. It's the simplest task because it's God who does the speaking and he knows how to speak in your language. We don't have to drum this up. We can't manufacture it. We can't make it happen. It's all down, it's all his end. It's all down to God to speak to us and to speak to us in a way that we can understand. At the same time, it is a mark of maturity in a believer because it takes discipline to keep your ears open to the voice of God and walk by the voice of God throughout your lifetime. It's one of the privileges we have as believers and it comes as part of the relationship that we are called to with Him. And we've got to remember, there is no other God who can speak. God's with a small g, that is. Any other religion, any other so-called God, you know, you have to go and visit in a museum to see their remains or to see the casket that they were in. You have to go up onto the hill to see the big stone figure or the wooden figure that is up on the hill. You have to go to some place or... Uh, there is a whole set of traditions that surround this God who speaks, but there is no fresh word. Mm. When you go and find the place where Jesus' body was laid, there is a sign on the door that says, He is not here. <laughs> because we don't have a dead God. There is no remains you can go and look at. Our God is alive, and our God is the only God who speaks. We are the most privileged people on the face of the earth. It's great to go all that way to Israel, uh, just to see nothing. <laughs> this morning I want to leave you with a message that will hopefully leave you so full of faith and conviction that you are able to hear the voice of God and also to discern what He is saying in your regular everyday life. You'll go out feeling encouraged, that you'll go out feeling built up, that you'll go out feeling like uh, you're fully tuned in, and that all you need to do is listen and he will speak. So let's pray to that end. Father, the words I speak, Lord, they need to burst into spirit and life. Lord, this time that we have before your word is not just time for more information. It's not just time to know more about you. It's time to become receptive to you. It's time to have you change something from within so that we can turn up the volume of your voice on our lives. Lord, we want to be those who hear and hear clearly. And so we just humble ourselves before your mighty hand that you would do that for us. 
and that you would send us out as some people who know that we know that we know that we hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So I grew up on a farm. Uh, when I was about six years old, my father bought a church farm in, in Ash Church in Tewkesbury, and it was a very derelict 16th century farmhouse. And so for three years, my family and I lived in static caravans where my dad did up the old farmhouse. And this old farmhouse was amazing. It had a hole going down from roof to, to, to the bottom level, uh, the size of a car. It was just huge, this hole that went down through. And the cows used to live in the bottom uh, of the house, and the farmer still lived upstairs. And the, the heat from the cows was the only heating in the house, and this farmer lived on a bed of straw. And so he, he, he for, before we could rescue the house, we had to rescue the farmer. Uh, so we bought him a static, static caravan as well, and he kind of became part of the family. Um, so it was a bit of a funny hobo way to live, but um, for all of the time that my dad was renovating the house, and when we moved into the farmhouse, for all that six years, we had no TV. I know. I mean, that's like some sort of child abuse today, I think. Um, there's no screens or Wi-Fi or anything in the house. But um, at, at that time, no TV whatsoever. We had to make our own entertainment. So my, between the ages of about six and about 12, uh, all I was able to do was crawl around a very dangerous building site and uh, hunt rabbits. And I used to make contraptions and dens and trees and barns and things like this. And uh, I remember how excited I got when my father had a delivery from the, for the building project. Because deliveries meant building materials, and building materials meant offcuts. And offcuts was well and truly my domain. <laughs> I was allowed to womble my, my way around the building site, picking up offcuts so that, to use for my own projects. Uh, and I made all sorts of things from the offcuts that were left lying around the building site. You know, anything from go-karts to a sail to attach to my skateboard to see if I could catch the wind and go along, and things to fire arrows, anything you, you like. You know, I, I, was, I was a genius with offcuts as, as a kid. And uh, I enjoyed doing those things. But I remember that there came a time when I really had got it into my head that I wanted to carve a human head out of stone. I see the same quality in my kids now when they get something in their heads. Well, I really wanted to carve a human head out of stone, and I was rummaging through the stone pile uh, with all you know, breeze blocks and bricks and all these offcuts and things, and there was nothing in there that I could really use to carve this human head, and I got frustrated. And I remember telling my dad about it, that I wanted to do this project, and to my astonishment, a couple of days later, my dad called me out to his van and uh, opened the side door of it of his van to reveal a pristine block of sandstone, about a foot cubed. And I was so excited. I was so excited. It was so special. You see, uh, <coughs> when I got this sandstone, I set it in the barn, and I started thinking about how I was going to carve it, and I was too scared to put the chisel on it. Because it was looking too pristine, and I thought I was going to ruin it. But once I got going, I, I spent a whole summer carving away in that barn until this head was revealed. And when I finished, the back of it was still square, but the front of it was the profile of a really good head. I was really impressed with it. Um, and my dad took this stone, and he set it into the wall above the door of one of our outbuildings. It became part of the fabric of the project. I think it was an outdoor loo, but we'll run. <laughs> <laughs> it was this head setting the wall. 
Uh, and I was just so proud of it. My dad was so proud of it. And, uh, it, you know, it, it, he took it so seriously. When I received that block of sandstone, that was the very first time that I had received a delivery for me. Up until that point, I had been making do with offcuts, with bits and pieces I'd been uh, cobbling together, uh, the, the, the leftovers from everybody else's projects. And this was the first time that I had received something from my dad, with my name on it, for me. And you know what? It's a bit like that with hearing God's word. Sometimes we're getting by with bits and pieces from revelations we have picked up from other people. Offcuts and snippets from what other people are receiving from the Father. And we are taking them and making do with them to nurture and build our faith and to understand God's word. And there comes a time in the life of every believer when hand-me-down, second-hand, spoon-fed revelations are no longer enough. Though we honour our Bible teachers and our worship leaders and our devotion writers, we are grateful to them and they help us to understand God's word. But there comes a point when there should be an unsettledness in our spirits. When we say, you know what, we appreciate God's general word, but I want to receive something specifically from the Father for me. I need to have something specifically with my name on it. A specific word, straight from God. I want to know which path he wants me to take. I want to know what gift he wants me to develop. I want to know what career he wants me to pursue. I want to know where he wants me to live. And the privilege is, is that you and I, have not, uh, we are not stunted and impaired believers. You have to be spoon-fed. That, that we have to take what other people have prepared and receive only what other people have prepared. And the reason why is because we are full of the Holy Spirit. And He lives in, in us, each of us individually, on the inside of us. And every one of us have, have had our spiritual ears opened and tuned in to hear the voice of God. That is true the moment that we put our faith in Jesus and we make Him the Lord of our lives. God gives us that ability. We've probably all got our favourite preachers and podcasters that we listen to to feed our spirits. And it's easy to put them on a pedestal and imagine that they have a connection with God that we don't have. But the very same Holy Spirit that takes the words of Christ and reveals it to them is the very same Holy Spirit that lives within you and me. We have the same connection. God doesn't play favourites. In fact, it's wholly biblical to say that I am God's favourite. Because we are the God's chosen ones. You have the privilege, and I have the privilege, to hear the voice of God. And there's no better way, place to see this than in John chapter 10. So when you turn there in your Bibles. John chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 1 to 5, and then jump down to verse 27. So John chapter 10, starting from verse 1. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. 
They will run from him because they don't know his voice. In verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. John 27 is like a one verse complete teaching on hearing the voice of God. It describes a relationship. These are my sheep, Jesus says. It describes a result of that relationship. They will hear my voice. It describes a reason to pursue his voice because he knows you and he knows how to care for you. And also a response of obedience. They follow me. In order to really get the juicy details out of this bit of teaching, um, we've got to get into a first century context when it comes to shepherding. So much of Jesus' teaching can only be really understood and really gotten hold of when we understand what things were like back in those days. And shepherding took uh, quite a different shape to what it does today. If you were in first century Palestine and you, uh, you wanted to look after your sheep overnight, say there were ten shepherds. Each of these ten shepherds has a hundred sheep. What they would do is the ten shepherds would go to the same overnight sheepfold. All of the sheep would go into the same sheepfold, which was just a stone-built, stone-walled sheepfold, a big one. So there's now a thousand sheep in this sheepfold. And nine shepherds would then go back into town to find food and lodgings and spend the night in town. One shepherd would be left behind to guard the sheep. The, the, the sheepfold didn't have a gate. There would just be an opening where the sheep come in or out. And the one shepherd that stayed behind to look after the sheep was called the porter, and they would literally lie in the entrance to the sheepfold. The only reason why that porter would move from that gate was if he saw one of the other shepherds coming, the legitimate shepherds, coming towards him, and he recognised that this shepherd was a legitimate shepherd of some of the sheep that are in the fold. And only when he was absolutely sure he was one of the, an authentic shepherd would he move, would he get up and let the shepherd come in. Are you with me? When that shepherd comes and stands in the sheepfold of a thousand sheep, he does, all he has to do is call to his sheep. And in that moment, 900 sheep stand still, munching on the grass, while 100 sheep immediately know his voice and start moving towards the shepherd. Isn't that amazing? And then the shepherd would count them out through the gate and would know each of them by name. He knows them all intimately. And then would, with a call, they would follow that shepherd off to new pasture. And the porter lies back down at the gate until the next shepherd comes. That's how it worked in first century Palestine. Don't you love that? Yeah. At that moment, when the shepherd calls, it doesn't matter whether you're a black sheep or a white sheep or a speckled sheep. It doesn't matter whether you're a posh sheep, a rare breed, or a common sheep. It doesn't matter whether you're a sheep that likes to hang around with one or two other sheep, or likes to hang out in the crowd. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. All that matters in that moment is who you belong to. That's all that matters. Who you have a relationship with. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me.
How does the shepherd know he's got the right sheep? He knows them. He knows every single one of them. And he can count them back in, in this, uh, and, and he knows them by name. He knows exactly which one is missing. If one is missing, I'm probably where they're likely to be. Jesus knows us like that. He calls us my sheep. There is a whole relationship behind those two words. I have a question for you. And it is absolutely vital for you to know the answer to this question if you want to hear the voice of God. Do you belong to the shepherd? Do you belong to the shepherd? If you have given your life to Jesus and you've chosen to follow him every day, then you belong to the shepherd. The Bible promises that you will recognize his voice. So that's the first essential of John 10, 27. It's relationship. We need to know who we belong to. The second part is connected to the first. It's the promised result of that relationship that you will know his voice. When you said yes to God and gave your life to Christ, God promises that the Holy Spirit will come and be within you. And that all the fullness of God is within the person of the Holy Spirit. He is the third person of the Trinity. He's not the third person because he's in any way less value. He's the third person in the Trinity because he's the last to be mentioned in Scripture. But the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ, and the fullness of the Godhead dwells in the Holy Spirit. So all of God's glory, all of God's power, all of God's love, all of God's wisdom is in the Holy Spirit. And if you are a believer and the Holy Spirit lives in you, that means all of God's glory, all of God's power, all of God's love, all of God's wisdom, and all of God's authority is inside of you. That's quite a truth to get your head around sometimes, isn't it? The Holy Spirit takes up residence in your spirit and begins to renew all things. And it's the Spirit that begins to tune us into the voice of God. The Spirit renews us in the core, and we're born again, and we're made clean, and brand spanking new. But there is still a problem, and that's that the Spirit is in my body. The Spirit is in my flesh. Have you ever experienced the battle between your flesh and your spirit? Just me. <laughs> Paul says it, Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> Paul says in Romans 7, I know what I want to do. My spirit wants to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. I'm willing. And yet sometimes my hands don't cooperate, or my feet don't cooperate, or my eyes don't cooperate. There is a war going on between my flesh and between the Spirit of God who lives within me. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, there's good news. 1 Thessalonians 1.13 says that it's his job to conform you to Christ Jesus. That should just take a load off your shoulders. That actually we have the Holy Spirit working within us continually, always working within us, bringing us to this day that we're going to become a lot more like Jesus. He that began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus when you will conform to his image. And he is always at work within us. And that basically means he is tinkering with your soul. He is messing around with your mind, with your emotions, with your soul, with how you feel, with how you think. And he shakes our dead minds and hearts and wakes us up to his thoughts and his feelings and his will. And he says that to our spirits, come and join me in honouring God. That's how the spirit gets to work within us. 
So he causes you to want stuff that you never thought you were going to want before you came to faith. He gives you a drive and an ambition, which is completely different to the drive and the ambition that we had before Jesus came in and, and the Holy Spirit started to move things around within our lives. You, you begin to like things that you never thought you were going to like. You begin to do things you were never going to do. And you begin to feel uncomfortable about things that previously didn't bother you. You know, that, for want of a better word, that bitching session that happens at work around the coffee table. Whereas before that may have just gone over your head or you may have taken part, all of a sudden you feel uncomfortable sitting around that table. The films that before you would have watched without a second thought, now you watch scenes that are occultic or gr with grotesque violence or are over-sexualized and you feel uncomfortable. There's a new voice within you that says, I don't want that anymore, it's not for you. And it starts bothering you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is inside with you, messing with your soul. My sheep hear my voice. It changes us from within. He guides us as we walk with him. And he calls to us too. God's voice is always speaking more than we're listening. Remember I said I had no TV as a kid. All I wanted to do was go to my mate's house and watch their telly. My friends wanted to come to my house and fire bows and arrows and hunt rabbits and stuff like that. I wasn't interested in that. I had more than enough of that stuff. All I wanted to do was go to their house, switch on their TV, plonk in front of the sofa and watch some stuff. Because that made me feel more connected at school as well, because they were all talking about what was going on on TV and I never knew what was going on. So all I wanted to do was watch their tellies and they knew it. Um, but I remember um, going to my friend's house and he just had Sky TV installed. It blew my mind. <laughs> Here's this kid with no TV at home sitting down and he switches on the TV and he puts the menu up and there's like channel after channel after channel. I mean, this is back in the day when there's only four channels usually. You guys don't know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> it was amazing, mind-blowing. There's over a hundred channels here. There's not enough hours in the day. I'm just, it was like a smorgasbord of viewing. And I, I, I just blew my mind. And I, I remember thinking to myself then, how can there be so much availability? How can there be so many channels available at once? And I'm just not plugging into any of them. Bill like that with the voice of God. God is speaking all the time. There, the voice of God is out there all the time. The voice of God is in here all the time. What we need to do is to, is to tune, turn on and tune in. You know? We have to switch it on and take time to enjoy it. And over time, as we begin to enjoy the voice of God, as we begin to understand and really tune into the voice of God, it becomes more and more familiar and easier to discern. You know, I can be in a big crowd, and one of my kids can fall over and shout, and I know it's mine straight away. You had that? Another kid can fall over in the same crowd, and I know it's not mine. And it's not that I'm thinking, oh, sorry, somebody else is. I might go, I'm the closest. You know, it's, it's still a bit sad, isn't it, if a kid hurts himself. But there's something about when you're the parent, when you know that it's your responsibility to run through the crowd and find where they are and work, work out what's going on. It's like that with the voice of God. You, how do I know the, the, the unique cry of my child? There's only one way I can get to know that. It's because I've made it my business to get to know that. And I have spent time with my kids, letting them fall over quite a lot. 
which just tunes me into the particular pitch and the particular way that they cry when they fall over. And because I've made it my business, now their voice is unmistakable. That's how it is with the shepherd. We make it our business to cultivate this relationship until we are so familiar with his voice that when he speaks, when he calls to us in some specific way, his voice is unmistakable. Hallelujah. Amen. So that's the second thing. My sheep hear my voice. There's a relationship, there is a, there is a result of the relationship, tuning into the voice of the shepherd. There is also a reason. He wants to get to know us. First century shepherds knew each of their sheep individually. Most present day shepherds would say that that is a lost art. That it's not possible. When you have hundreds and hundreds of sheep, it's just not possible to know your sheep individually. The advances of technology and the use of dogs and quads, and in some cases helicopters, means that you can have more sheep and you can manage them, you can move them and get them to where they need to be, but you can't know them in the same way that you used to. Aren't you glad that our shepherd is an old school kind of shepherd? He wants to lead you because he knows you intimately. And because he knows you, he knows where you are and he knows how to communicate with you. He knows if you are new to the scriptures or full of the word of God. He knows if you are hard-headed like me and often need to be told several times so that the message gets through. He knows if you're a visual learner or an experiential learner. He knows if you're easily moved by the arts or music. He knows if you sometimes need a word of reassurance or a firm kick up the backside. He knows what we're like. He knows you. Because you're his. When I was researching this message, I listened to a message about first century shepherding, and I heard someone say that it was often the case that the shepherd had such a knowledge of their sheep, and the sheep knew the shepherd so well, that by varying the tone of their voice, a shepherd was able to call one sheep out of their flock. That's what I heard. The closest I think I've seen to this is when I bought my dog. I bought my dog from uh, a guy who was, his hobby was the field trials for dogs. Yeah, they're amazing, absolutely amazing things. Um, he used to go all around the country doing these competitions with his amazing award-winning dog. So my dog is the son of a pair of champions, okay? Mm-hmm. I know, get me. I bought, I bought him when he was five months old. So we, we'd done with all the, the messy, weird in the house bit and all of that. We, did, we had him when he was five months. He'd already begun his training with these incredible trainers. And I remember going to pick him up and uh, not knowing a clue really what I was doing. You know, I grew up with dogs. We hadn't, he was our first dog that we'd had ourselves. And um, the first thing this guy did was take me out to see his dogs. And his dogs live outside in their proper kennel. And he would open the door and there was five dogs wagging their tails, desperate for a command all lined up, and he would say, Fern, Sky, you know, all the names of these dogs, and one by one they'd come out and they would sit by the gate, again, poised, ready, waiting. He would open the gate and he'd say, Sky, wait, and this dog would go like a rocket up the field uh, behind his house, and then with a pip on a whistle, this dog would stop dead and watch him, with his eye bang on him. Another couple of pips, he'd go sideways, and he, he was just moving this dog all around the field. Incredible control, and this dog was absolutely loving it. All four other dogs just sitting there waiting, absolutely poised. And as soon as he said to another one, Sky, away, the other one would go. 
And then he would be able to control two dogs in different places doing different things with a, a pip of a whistle. Incredible. Needless to say, I haven't taken my dog back there since. <laughs> if he comes back and doesn't eat the postman, he's good enough for my book. He'd probably say I've ruined him. Uh, uh, he's a good lad. The, how did those dogs know, just with the pip of a whistle, what their master wanted? Only one way to get to that point, and that's relationship. Time spent with man and his dog, working out how to do these things together. It's the same in first century Palestine being a shepherd. Shepherd and sheep. Intimate knowledge and working together in time. Technology helps us in all kinds of ways, but it won't help you do the most important thing, which is to spend time with the shepherd and to get to know his voice for ourselves. But it is vital that you do, because do you know what? There is an enemy of your soul. There is a deceiver who is out to do all he can that he might distract you from listening and fill your mind with suggestion of what the will of God might be, even though it's not the will of God for your life. In 2 Corinthians 11.14, it says that the enemy masquerades as an angel of light. You know, the, the enemy doesn't rock up in, uh, to your life in like a red jumpsuit and a pitchfork and say, hey, it's me, I'm going to suggest some things to you. He doesn't do that. What he does is he works out something that looks an awful lot like the will of God for your life. And then he comes with that. He comes with that suggestion. And so for us, hearing the voice of God is so important because we don't, we're not just discerning between good and evil. We're discerning between good and almost good. How many times have we been knocked off course because it's a good idea and not a good idea? And later down the road, it turns out to be not so good at all. We need to be able to discern the voice of God in that way. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and fourthly, they follow me. There is a response required. How many of you know that when God speaks, the appropriate response is obedience? God doesn't speak so that he is heard, he speaks so that he is obeyed. It's a bit like the relationship that a pilot has with a control tower. The control tower has a perspective way beyond what the pilot can see in his limited view from his cockpit. The pilot doesn't just trust in his own visibility to guide the plane and he stays in constant contact with the control tower because the control tower has the capacity to keep them from disasters that they don't even know are possible from their limited view. To the pilot, it may just feel like the runway is clear, what could be the problem? But they're not going to move until the control tower says so. When God speaks to you, it's because you see things you can't possibly see from your perspective. And sometimes he may say something that doesn't make much sense to you at the time, but when you respond in obedience to God, and you do what he says, you have no idea of the disasters that you are circumventing just because you said yes to God and responded in obedience to him. I've tested this one, sadly. 
many, many times, more times than I'm willing to admit, when a situation has gone badly wrong and then I reflect and I can remember a moment before I took that road where God did kind of half get my attention and I could have listened, I had an opportunity, when I felt a little bit uneasy about it or somebody came to me and said, hey, are you sure you want to do this? And it was an opportunity, it was a moment, it was a time in a crossroads where maybe God is speaking to me in this and I could have paused and listened in further and I didn't because... Of course, my common sense is always going to be right. Speaking mainly to the men in the room. (laughs) What could possibly go wrong? There's a reason why there is a sign in the toilet in there that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. That's there for my benefit. Because this is where I work. You get to use it as well. But it's an important one. It's a word from the control a word from the control tower is better than all the wisdom and reason that I can ever drum up every time. Mary and I can look over the decisions we've made in our lives and say with absolute confidence that the best ones have been made that we've made have been the ones that we took in response to the voice of God, without exception. That's just how it's been. My sheep know my voice. I know them and they follow me. Brothers and sisters, do you belong to the shepherd?